Oh, I was hoping he was gonna do that. Hello and welcome to Chicken Space. Can't believe it, this is already episode 13. Time really does fly. Today, um, greetings from the chickens, of course. And I'm gonna start sharing notes for another planet. I'm gonna tell you all about how that came to be. And I'm gonna share with you um, really what for me has been probably the core fundamental shaping experience of my life that's given me uh, the direction. You know, what, where I want my life to come from. About 25 years old, got on a bicycle, headed east, solo cross-country bicycle trip from LA, ended up in Boston, 6,000 miles, three months of riding, transformed my life. The word that came out of that was hospitality. So that's Chicken Space for today, and I am so glad that you are here, and we'll get started right away. Thanks a bunch, bye. To your home. Across the ocean, it's been so long since you've been gone. All right, welcome to Chicken Space. This is episode 13, and this is the first in a series of notes for another planet. Interestingly, I just got off the phone with this person who called me, who had visited this week, who was like, I so want to hear those notes for another planet. And younger guy whose, whose life, it seems to me, is fully engaged in the consciousness part of it, what, what it means to be a person. So, so now I'm like triply inspired to share these um, notes for another planet. And uh, let me mention how, how this started, is that a few years ago, uh, a psychic wanted to come and visit me because of the work I do with the ICE method that I've been sharing um, in these podcasts about calm, about infinite space, those kinds of things. And he comes to the door and he walks in and he says, Lars, it's like you are a person from another planet and your job was to come here and take notes so that you could explain what it's like to this other planet, what it's like to live the human life here on earth. And uh, it was like, uh, well, thank you. Come on in, let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> I've never received that greeting from anyone else. And it actually meant so, so, so very much to me. Um, because if you know my life, you know that um, uh, conservatively said, I've gone from one thing to another to another in my life. And there, there's no real indication um, that, that trajectory is about to stop. But so one way to describe myself to others that I've often done is, well, I'm just an unstable person kind of passing through life. Um, but this other way, like, oh, I got a job. Like I have a, I have a career. I have a lifelong job of like taking notes on the experience of life. And in my better moments, taking notes, what I have found is that in everything that I get involved in, every other piece before that has been useful. Becoming an engineer was useful to becoming a pastor. Becoming and being an engineer and being a pastor was useful to, to being a person in the hunting gathering culture of Nome. 
having had the experience of living for three and a half years in the hunting gathering culture of Nome and preaching there every Sunday and, and sort of being in this, this mix between this Western culture and hunting gathering culture has been useful to every succeeding piece of my life. It was certainly useful to being a campus pastor in Michigan and working uh, with young people, college age people, about like what's the meaning of life and so often when we ask that question we ask it completely within the confines of of just our current experience of culture this western experience which is agriculture it's not hunting gathering and so to have lived in that and then to be able to share that both from a perspective of spirit and of science huh, it all has added up over the years and then when I unicycled across the country um, in, in, uh, and back uh, to try to raise awareness and funds for an endowment fund for um, the Inupiat people of the Seward Peninsula to be having their own say, more of their own say in their ministry. You know, all those pieces of previous life were there on the road. And then the entry into uh, healing uh, to developing this ice method and to exploring it, to researching it, all the different pieces of previous experiences, I've been thankful for them in that next piece of the journey. And then this man comes and says, you know, it's like you're a note taker for another planet. And now it's like, oh, that is such, uh, well, it's like a nice vocation. It's like, oh, that feels so good to be doing that. And so I have remembered that often. And um, so I thought I would start sharing, sharing some notes. And for today, I thought I'd, I'd start sharing at one of the most pivotal experiences framing experiences, meaning-making experiences in my life, which took, which took place not on a unicycle, not on one wheel, but on just a standard touring bicycle. And it was, I think it was the year 1985, 24, 25 years old, bicycling across uh, the United States. I had three months. I went through all kinds of states, 6,200 miles. A little background to the prep for that trip and then the trip itself and what it meant to me and how it's shaped my life. But the background is, um, like I said, I'd been doing my engineering and even my college, you could say, was sort of a note-taking experience. Uh, I, I got an appointment to the United States Air Force Academy and I went there for two years. But see, if I'd known that I was a note-taker, it would have been much easier at the end of those two years to say thank you, thank you for this experience, thanks for the notes that I've gotten here, and I moved on. At the time, it was like I did move on, but I, I hadn't framed it this way. You know, at the time, there's this bit of tension between, oh, what does it mean to stabilize my life, career, uh, experience, all those kinds of things, versus what does it mean to be out on the adventure of life? What does it mean when um, really what happened for me is like, um, it didn't feel like a place I wanted to spend my career. And when I actually, you have to go through all these interviews to leave um, and people question you. 
And there was one person who said, you know, to be here, the question you need to answer for yourself is whether or not you are willing to give your life for others and for your country. It was the only person who said that. All the other people were talking about like, uh, just what a nice community it was and the fun of flying airplanes and how you always know someone around the world and how the retirement's good and the pay is good and all those kinds of things. And it was like, well, I don't really need all of those things to make a life. If everybody had said this idealism of, oh, you're really here to offer yourself for others and your country, I probably would have stayed. But anyway, went from there to kind of almost the opposite end of the political spectrum from the United States Air Force Academy. I went and got my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Cal Berkeley. Um, this place that was famous for its activism in the 1960s in the time of the Vietnam War, <clears throat> the cultural revolutioning of that time. And from there, um, I, I went and got a master's degree in mechanical engineering in a year from uh, Northwestern University in Chicago. And we're getting back to the, the story of the bicycle ride, but from there, my professor, he moved out to, uh, to Davis, California. And uh, I went along with him and I was working in that lab and I went over to the campus ministry and met uh, one of the mentors of my life. Uh, I'm so appreciative for those mentors that I've had in my life, Don Ranstrom. And uh, not only was he a great pastor. He was just this amazing human being who took me under his wings as a friend, as a respected um, fellow journeyer in life, commenter on life, and he was a cyclist, bicyclist. And Davis is very popular for biking. You can't drive on the campus. You can only walk and bicycle on it. Lots and lots of biking there. And so I started biking in the early mornings with him. We'd go out, this group of five or ten of us, and getting the, the lines and bike as fast as we could. And every year in Davis, they have the double century, a 200 mile one day ride. And I just didn't even imagine ever doing anything or being able to ride 200 miles on a bicycle in one day. And my friend Don was like, you could do this. Lots of people do this. And we were training. I was like, okay. And it did that ride in 10 and a half hours, I think, which is like, with the lunch break, we were the road like 20 miles an hour for that whole day. And the, the euphoria of doing that, tired, yes, but euphoric. And, uh, and actually the next week I was out bicycling with a friend and I said, you know, uh, I've been looking at this touring bike at the bike shop. And if, if it's still available, I said, I'm going to buy that touring bike and I'm going to quit my degree in uh, my PhD studies in mechanical engineering, and I'm gonna go bicycle across the country. Because I had already become aware, like I was studying these burning droplets that were 300 microns in size and watching them burn in a microscope, in the sense that as if I moved further in that direction, my life would become really um, specific and focused and narrow. Again, if I'd understood that my job was a note taker, I would have felt fine about all this instead of like having to make this big deal about, you know, getting a bicycle <clears throat> and having a reason or an excuse to not complete my PhD. And the bicycle that was at the bike shop when I went back that morning to look was not my size. And so I actually asked, I said, 
don't you have anything else that fits me? And the owner, she said, just a minute. And she went to the back and climbed the stairs in the back of the store and said, hey, look at this. And there was a bike that fit me. I bought the bike and rode it over to campus. And that afternoon, I told all my um, study friends in my research group that, uh, and they were all from different countries, almost all of them, only one from the United States. The rest were from Taiwan, mainland China, Japan, uh, Greece, and uh, Hungary, and I think in Korea uh, as well. And I told them all that I was going to quit and go bike across the country, and they were just, um, they were distraught for me. They had given everything to come to the United States and study for their PhD, and so I was just a complete lunatic in their eyes, and they really tried to help me uh, change my mind and stay and complete that degree, but I was determined. Uh, and so my dad calls up and he says, oh, well, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do this bicycle ride, he said, why don't you just instead, why don't you come over with me to Denmark? Cause I'm making a trip. My parents are Danish immigrants, both of them. I'm making a trip this summer back to Denmark and, and you could come along and uh, maybe you could do some folk school learning and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, nope, I'm going to go on this bicycle ride. I was determined. And then I went to sleep and it's like, really? My dad's offering to take me along to Denmark. So I call him, we make the arrangement to go to Denmark. And it's like, but what I am going to do is I'm going to bicycle from Canada to Mexico. And I did that ride. So that was my initial tour. Finished that. We flew over to Denmark. I ended up getting a job as a wind turbine, a windmill engineer in a company in Denmark and worked there. Uh, for an entire year back in the early days of the wind industry. So there's more notes. And I lived on a dairy farm and the farmer would wake me up sometimes at three in the morning and would go out and I'd help him deliver a calf um, that was having problems. And more notes. Uh, and this is what I wanted to tell you. The story of the bike ride. So I came back and I did some training there in Los Angeles where I lived. And one morning, I believe it was in the beginning of April, can't remember exactly right now, uh, my mom was home and I loaded up, had been loading my bike for a couple days and put the last stuff on it one morning and, and rode out the alley. And uh, I remember her waving at me the whole way down the alley and off I went. Heading east, not knowing if I would make it all the way across the country, just knowing like I would pedal day by day. You don't have every day planned out typically on a ride like this. I knew I had three months and then I had agreed to be at a family reunion. <clears throat> and so off I went, pedaling east. I made it actually to a monastery, ironically, the very first night. Um, it's one I had known about. I'd never visited it, but I went there and uh, they invited me to stay the night. And that was the beginning of what changed my life. Not the monastery, but the hospitality. And yes, it was a religious institution there that took me in that night, but all across the country, I had people taking me in, complete strangers who would share a night with me, share a meal, share their story, listen to my journey, listen to my adventure. I got invited into a family reunion and joined their dinner. 
I remember there was a family that was fishing. I don't know if it was in Ohio or where it was. And um, and got to go fishing with them. That was their thing. That was like their, what they did. They fished along this river that they lived along the banks of. These different experiences over and over and over again. I mean, the ride itself was beautiful and hard and sweaty and and I got strong and all of those things. But it was this hospitality, this, this um, I shouldn't even say it was unexpected because I came to expect it. I came to be not surprised by it, always grateful, but not surprised. I came to have the experience of living in a world of hospitality and generosity and, and, and the free gift of life. And I came to live in a world where I saw people appreciating me for doing what I was doing. You know, they, they gave me hospitality and I gave them inspiration to see to see someone who was coming into their town on one end and leaving on the other end, bringing the stories that I'd had the experience of and taking their story with me and heading off to whatever that next day would bring. It always brought chocolate milk. I always had at least one quart of chocolate milk at some store along the day. And as the days went on, sometimes um, I'd have more than one. And like riding tip, when I get tired at the end of the day, I always got up super, super early. Like by the time it was light, I was on the road. I got up when it was just gray enough that I could see to load up my, my uh, sleeping pad and my sleeping bag and everything else I'd loaded up the night before. And off I went. And I usually rode at least 15, sometimes 20, sometimes 30 miles before I had my breakfast. I was always looking for that 99 cent breakfast sign so you can tell it was a while ago but they still had 99 cent breakfast some places. When they did, I'd go in and fill up. Otherwise, I'd be eating like what I had along, like peanut butter and bread, things like that. And I try to get like 100 miles in by lunchtime, whether that was 12 or one or two, and have my lunch. And then I always felt like everything after that was just gravy. And depending on the wind direction and the terrain. I would sometimes make 120, sometimes 160 miles. But the tip is like for those last 20 miles when you're kind of tired, I would get a Snicker bar and a can of Coke. And it was incredible. There was an instant hour of extra energy that came from eating that uh, sugar and drinking that caffeine. And I just basically for that last hour, amazing how much of a difference it made in my body. I'd pretty much fly to the end of the day and into the campsite. By the end of my journey, I didn't want to quit. It was three months in and I actually made it across the country pretty quick on all those hundred mile days. It's 3,000 mile country, uh, 3,000 mile wide country and I was doing well over a hundred miles a day. So I had a lot of time when I started to get to the East Coast and out of the Adirondacks, I headed up into Canada went through Montreal and Quebec and uh, the Laurentian Mountains. Wow, amazed they can remember that still. Over into uh, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island. 
and then took the ferry back down to Bar Harbor in Maine, back into the United States. So lots of extra miles and times and experiences. Um, on the far side of Prince Edward Island, when you take the ferry there, they have all these all-you-can-eat lobster dinners, either at churches or places like that. And I remember that uh, I ate so much at that place, I went through two different uh, waitresses um, finishing their shifts. And by the time I walked out, I could, I could so barely walk that I only walked my bike over to the far ed edge of the parking lot, put my sleeping bag down, and, uh, and slept there the whole night because <laughs> I had eaten so much food uh, at the lobster feed. Came around Bar Harbor, came back into Maine, still plenty of time, down through. Uh, the flight was out of Boston, around Cape, Cape Cod. Took a ferry back into, into Boston, slept in the airport that night, and uh, flew back to this family reunion that was in Canada on, on the West Coast. And I didn't want to finish my ride. In fact, after the family reunion, I rode up into Jasper and Banff and places like that, continued riding. Uh, and then actually some friends were from my school were going to, um, to Taiwan that summer and they invited me along. And so I took my bike along there and bicycled there all the way around the island. I had, I think we were there for 10 weeks or something. Can't remember. Anyway, um, took a ferry over to Hong Kong into mainland China and uh, had another experience there. But my point was, I didn't want to finish riding. So I delayed it as long as possible. And I think, maybe I would have kept riding, but, but I think the reason I didn't want to stop riding was that hospitality was that being out in the day-by-day -day experience of graciousness. The day-by-day -day experience that, wow, it really is a miracle to live this life. And the, it's a miracle to have a body that can push pedals and go 150 miles a day, really, without any trouble after a while. And you go at this pace where you can just see stuff, you can look backwards and see stuff as you're passing by and you can absorb it. And on the ride, you realize the only thing better than bicycling would be walking. That speed of the motion of our legs on the earth, touching the earth every single step. But biking's not bad. And when you only have three months and get to see the whole country that way, like it's this incredible miracle. And that's the point of this note, is that what I took out of it and what I've taken out of it and what I continue to be reminded or remind myself of is that experience of hospitality. And my commitment out of that ride was to live a life that was consistent with and a reflection of that hospitality. That's the reason I went to seminary a year later. I wanted to see what my tradition of growing up in the Lutheran church had to say to me that might help me to have the experience of living a life of hospitality. And I was really clear to myself and those I spoke with it, you know what, if it is that, that'll be awesome. And if it's not that, I'll just keep looking for where I find these connections that will help me to live this life that I'm committed to. There was a year between me finishing the ride, almost a year, and starting seminary, and a couple of major things happened. Then one is that Ann and I, who had met five years before at this uh, Holden Village camp, 
we reconnected on on uh, this ride. I stopped and visited her in Red Wing, and after that, we were writing letters all the time, and that was the beginning of us courting each other, finding each other, and ultimately, um, she joined me when I started seminary a year later. And uh, a year after that, we were married. That's another story of notes to share sometime. Take a note about that note. Um, but during that year, I wrote my first book. Uh, and uh, my parents had been given this old shack of a cabin up in the, in the mountains uh, outside of Los Angeles. And I would go up there from Monday to Friday, nobody else there, and I would write this book, and really the only important thing about it is it was called Common Roads, which I think was a pretty, pretty good title. That we are all on common roads. Sometimes we don't think so. We think we're on our own. But we are on these common roads. Somehow they are all common. It would take decades before I could connect that to source, awareness, infinity, calm, all those things. But we're all that. At the time, I had a name, Common Roads. I sent it out to some publishers thinking it was a great book, and they all wrote me back and said, thank you, we think it's a great book too, but we don't have any interest in publishing it. So I did that eight times and thought, oh, maybe it's not a great book. And I didn't even realize, I'd done so little research that I didn't realize most authors have sent their books out to like 50 publishers before they get accepted. So I just kind of took the input, never published it, made a few copies, they're sitting in a box somewhere in packaging, and um, anyway, that was my first experience of riding. And so later, when I took my 50-state unicycle ride, um, I was really thankful that I had that experience so that it felt uh, less foreign, more natural for me to try to write that book, uh, which another title that I really liked a lot, One Wheel, Many Spokes, kind of the same as Common Roads kind of the same as source and infinity at the center of all of this. And we have the many spokes of our experience and our life. So I am grateful to this psychic man who came to my door and gave me that story. I have no idea how seriously he took it himself. But it has been a great liberation and a freedom and an opening for me to see my life that way. And once in a while, I'll, I'll share um, when I think it's like the right person to share it with. I'm like, oh, you know, this person said to me something I had never thought, something I had never considered. And it seems like maybe you're a person like that too. I have so much admiration like for people that, that can sort of stay focused stay tuned to like that one thing and go deeper and deeper with it and, and practice um, the skills and the trades of that, that thing and do it for an entire career. What I do run into often, the people whose lives do not follow that pattern. And when you're not following that pattern, you got to do your own questioning your own self-support, your own like justification, your own reasoning for the meanings in your life because you've stepped outside of um, what are so often called the norms of stability. 
And so I share this story about someone saying to me, gosh, you know, it seems like, seems like uh, you're a note taker in this life. And if there's, there's like utility in that, there's value in that, there's meaning in life, that there's purpose. I mean, this guy, this guy framed it so beautifully for me. He said, you know, you're, you're doing this for the sake of another planet so that they can know what's going on here. It's like, you know, doesn't that feel good? Like, yeah, I'm not hanging around getting a, getting a retirement set up or anything like that. And, you know, we'll probably be raising chickens forever and ever just so we can uh, stay alive eating eggs and selling eggs. Don't have all those other pieces there, but like, oh, well, that's a pretty big job. Like you're, you're taking notes for the beings on another planet so they can know what's happening here on the earth. And how are you going to do that unless you keep having experiences, entering into, experiencing, learning, gaining facility with, and then um, opening to the next chapter of notes that need to be taken. And I know that in the healing work I've done, um, like I, I became aware of developing the ice method or became aware of the ice method and developed it. And then I, I specifically looked for a group of people that would benefit. Quote, as they say, find a, a target audience. When you write, write for a target audience, the person who's going to benefit by it. And so I chose to um, focus on people with fibromyalgia. Uh, I'd had some really uh, profound experiences with helping people with fibromyalgia. And, in, and, and I helped a number, but it never like took off. And what I couldn't understand was to help people with this crazy amount of pain and then to have no pain, like I really, I expected that my doors would be knocked down with people saying, help me too. And, and that never happened. But if it had happened, I'm pretty sure that would have been like, I would have taken notes on that for the rest of my life. It would have been a great life helping people to not have pain um, who had been suffering with the symptoms of fibromyalgia. But sort of as like a, you know, the world is kind of showing up for me as a note taker. It's like, well, that didn't happen. And so then the next piece and the next piece and the next piece showed up until my most recent book, The River of Life, is using the, the, the healing journey of the ice method together with the spiritual journey of infinite awareness and sharing that story. And that, like, for me, is like, that's a book that's, I really, really love to share that book with people. But it, too, hasn't become a bestseller yet, and that's okay. But had it done that, I mean, there would have been probably the rest of the chapters that I wrote. And instead of that, um, chickens have shown up. And they showed up for me out of this, what for me at least was this really interesting chapter of life. After my second book, expecting business to go up and instead it like dropped off, dropped away. Things dropped away. People dropped away. And went into the space of, of really like, instead of resisting that, instead of pushing harder and trying harder to make something, it was like, okay, this is what's happening. I'll just stop and pay attention. 
and I reconsolidated everything that showed up for me that showed up at those times that had charge attached to it like am I going to be able to keep my house and be able to make the house payments we're going to end up living on the street in a car or a van somewhere what does it mean if you know not successful in this what does it mean if I embarrass my parents by like just trying all these different things and ending up just uh, you know no success in it all those sorts of things including like what does it mean to be at ease, calm, unremoved from infinite awareness by, by engaging the thought of my death or the experience of my death? And I tell you, when you reconsolidate that one, when you're actually calm about that, and I've done work with that with many people, there's some people who are really afraid of death. There's other people like, no, I'm not afraid of that. I just don't want to bother my family by being sick for a long time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever it is, if you bring yourself to a place of recognizing that you already are infinity, that life or death have nothing to do with removing us from infinity, we're infinity now, we're infinity then, that sort of calm, that sort of peace, wow. That is a big one in life. <clears throat> and it was at the end of all of that that these chickens showed up, as I've shared before. And so now it is like, oh, what does it mean to have like these, these breathing, living chickens show up in the middle of that kind of calm and infinite awareness about life and death? And so that's the journey that I'm living every day now coming out, collecting food, saving food from going to the landfill, like 25 acres worth of food that don't need to be grown, bringing that out to the chickens, trying to take care of them, learning, losing too many of them to mistakes that I make or just things that happen, collecting eggs. Next week we have another 800 baby chicks coming. Trying to build up that flock to 3,000 so that we can have an intern support an intern, can have help all those kinds of things, all the while remembering, oh, all this is happening within the experience of infinity. Nothing takes away or gives to infinity because infinity is infinity. I didn't have all that awareness when I did my bike ride all those years ago when I was 25 years old, back in 1985 or 1986, whenever it was. But I was awed by the land, by the Grand Canyon, awed by the Great Plains, by the Rocky Mountains, the Adirondacks, the Laurentian Mountains in Canada, the islands, the cities, the buildings, the people. And from that experience, I wanted to live as a reflection of the hospitality and the grace and the beauty that I had the experience of. It's really nice to be able to share that story with you. Hope you've enjoyed it. Before we leave, of course, like as I always do, as I always want to do, just want to invite you to a space of calm. And if you've listened before, you know what it is. And hopefully it's showing up for you on your own. But it's always nice to have someone like just invite you 
to remember the space. So if you're listening to this while you're driving or you're home at night or it's early morning, you're out jogging, I invite you to, to see something, a doorknob or a tree in the distance. I'm seeing a tree, ponderosa on that far ridge and say out loud, I see that thing. I see that doorknob. I see that tree. Let yourself see it. You're doing one of the most amazing things that can be done in all of creation. You're choosing with awareness to put your attention in a particular place. When we're anxious or fearful or sad, you know, our attention is moved into a place typically without us being aware that it's even happened. And we're reactive to that. Now we're like, we're like choosing to put our awareness in a certain place. Something simple like a doorknob. And the whole physiology of the body responds to the simple thing that you've got your eye on. And the chemistry of the body simplifies and turns towards calm because it doesn't need much of a reaction to look at a doorknob or a distant ridge of a mountain. And then you say at the speed of speech, so you slow your awareness down even more. Take more conscious control of your attention and say, I see the space between that tree and the ridge and myself. And you let your awareness go in the space between. The space that has nothing in it. And you become a response in this moment. You become a response instead of to all the things in your plate. In this very moment, you become a response to nothing. And since the stress response is always a response to something, your stress response turns off because there's nothing to respond to. Over a thousand different chemical reactions just happen between whatever state of reactivity you were in and the state of non-reactivity. Your fight, flight, freeze, stress response is off. Your body has returned to a state of restoration, healing, rest. And if you let yourself pay attention, in all likelihood, you can feel that subtle difference. Some people's shoulders drop. Some their brows unfurl. Some it's just this wonderful letting go, sinking feeling of the body. Shoulders loosen up, back loosens up. Hips loosen up. Stomach stops being tense. Heart beats more evenly. There's a physiology that corresponds in your life to having your attention in the space that has nothing in it. And then like I've done at other times, I won't do it today, but you can actually transform stored experiences of your life that have upsets in them, anger, fear, and sadness. You can actually remove, replace that upset with this calm. And that's the process of memory reconsolidation that I've written about, that I've shared in these podcasts, that I've worked with really hundreds of people with. To bring calm into those areas of life that haven't been calm, that have stored upsets, and that are impacting life in ways that take our attention away from um, the sense of, of fullness, of oneness, of completeness, of calm, of infinity. To do that, all there is to do is shift your attention back and forth between the upset and the space that has nothing in it. You can listen to other podcasts that have done that on, but just wanted to invite you into calm for a moment. <clears throat>
and I want to invite you to live your your life from this space. You can. I don't always do it, but more and more I do it. You can live your life from a place of calm. You can make your decisions from a place of calm. So often we think, oh, you know, if I'm not like, if I'm not like amped up, I'm not really here. Well, actually, <clears throat> when we're all amped up about something, we're actually in reactivity instead of non-reactivity. And so we've constrained ourselves to acting out of a particular emotion or a particular feeling instead of this awareness of nothing and everything, of infinity, the wholeness, the God space, the being, the all, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's actually possible to live your moments, your hours, your days, your weeks, your months, your life, your death from this place. All right, I'm not on that bike ride anymore, but I wish you blessings from the road, from the memory of that road and all the hospitality that was given to me. I send it out to you with wishes for a world that orbits in that way. All right, thank you so much for joining me on Chicken Space. We are a long ways these days from that bike ride when I was 25. But there's chickens and there's eggs and much more to share. I'm going to find another note for you for next time. Do some notes here. Um, get ready for when I go back to that other planet one of these days. All right. Thanks so much. You take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me on Chicken Space this day. It was so nice to share that bike ride with you. Gosh, you could almost feel the saddle sores just being talking about that and remembering it. There was this guy in Albuquerque, like his gift to me was like, you know what, there's this really great bicycle seat you could buy. And we went down to the bike store and I bought it and ever after, on that whole rest of that trip, I was riding so much more comfortably. Unexpected gifts in life. Thanks so much again for joining me. If you want information about this life with chickens, you can go to manyspokes.com. And if you want more information about the ICE method, the River of Life book, healing, wellness, source, awareness, head on over to icemethod.com. You can drop me a note from either of those websites. Love to hear from you. Until next time, I'll be back with some other notes. Blessings of life, may they all be with you. Bye-bye. That I'm going, it's a hard road.